to a pleasure podcast for more from our sex podcast collective visit pleasurepodcasts.com hey slutty scholars in case you didn't know this show is a proud member of the pleasure podcast network which features some of the top sex and relationship podcasts i am all about supporting other folks and resources that feature shame-free and uplifting conversations about sexuality and pleasure so i wanted to give you a little teaser for one of the other podcasts in my network listen up to learn about the show private parts unknown we even did episode 149 together on my show if you want to hear more A podcaster goes to Tokyo to uncover stories of sex, relationships, and queerness, and winds up getting a happy ending massage. That's the kind of Bourdain-style experiential storytelling you can expect from Private Parts Unknown, a podcast about love and sexuality around the world. Hi, I'm Courtney Kosak, and for the show, we've traveled to Helsinki, Finland, Mexico City, Mexico, Tokyo, Japan, and beyond to explore different modes of intimacy and increase our cultural understanding. Tune in for hilarious, sex-positive conversations, destigmatizing everything from abortion to Ashley Madison, polyamory to PMDD, sex work to Shibari, and more. Follow Private Parts Unknown on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in. Sluts and Scholars is a sex-positive, shame-free educational podcast where we try to help you talk smart and fuck smarter. While we love to give advice and resources, please note that this podcast or any emails from us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars. I'm Nicoletta Heidegger, and I am a licensed marriage and family therapist and sexologist. And this week, I am welcoming Samantha Zipporah. Samantha is a de- is devoted to breaking the spells of oppression in reproductive and sexual health through education, healing, and liberation. She has over 20 years of experience honing her craft as an educator, guide, and caregiver tending to fertility, sex, and cycles spanning the full womb continuum. Sam's work rises from an ancient lineage of midwives, witches, and wise women. A fierce champion of critical thinking skills, her knowledge is integrative and inclusive of modern medicine and science, as well as traditional and ancient healing practices. Sam provides vital education for everyone from professionals to preteens in her books, courses, and live classes. Her online community, The Fruit of Knowledge, features monthly live workshops and an abundance of resources and dialogue for womb wisdom keepers and seekers. Welcome, Sam. Why, thank you. So you use this term womb continuum. Tell me about that. What does that mean? Yeah, so continuum being a cycle that really has no beginning or end. And there's no point on the continuum that can really be distinctly differentiated from the whole. Mm -hmm. And so the womb continuum encompasses reproduction, it encompasses sexuality, and, you know, it's our yeast infections, our ovulation, our orgasms, our abortions, all of it is connected the way that we relate to all of these experiences affect the whole. And yeah, it's, I've been hard pressed to specialize. You know, I do specialize now very much in out of clinic abortion and contraception. Um, But yeah, I'm there for the whole thing. I'm a student of the womb continuum as well as a teacher. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I was going to wait to go to this later, but just since you already said the word and since everything that is going on in our culture, you mentioned yeah. out of clinic abortions. Um, let's, let's talk about that. Like, what are some of the things you're seeing right now? What does out of clinic entail? Um, let's, let's just fucking dive in. <laughs> Diving in. So abortions have been happening since way before the 1970s. And safe and healing abortions have also been happening since before the medical industrial complex existed. Um, So most people have been using plants for the vast majority of human history to manage their fertility. And And, just a quick note, y'all, if you are listening, this is educational. We are not your doctors or advising you to do any of these plant things. This is purely informational. Sure. So, um, yeah, I've, I've studied ancestral practices and different traditional healing methods, as well as more modern methods in terms of manual vacuum aspiration and a process called menstrual extraction as well as herbs and medication. So there really are, there are many different ways to encourage the womb to post an eviction notice. Do we have records of like the first abortion in our history? We have about 4,000 years of written history of contraception and abortion. Whoa. And... So for the majority, and actually I'm just rereading this amazing book uh, called Eve's Herbs by John Riddle, who also has another title called Contraception and Abortion through, from Ancient Times through Renaissance. And so what we, what we see is that actually most processes of stimulating menstruation are not called abortions until the Industrial Revolution and the medicalization of our fertility, mm-hmm. which has a, a very strong parallel with the industrialization of agriculture, right? So we're seeing like the commodifying and yes. the mechanizing and dominating of the fertility of the earth and the fertility of our bodies for profit. Yes. So the majority of human history in terms of what we have written, which is mostly written by men. Yeah. <laughs> Right. And we have to also acknowledge that oral history, uh, ritual and story and song and conversation is how women would have shared information about Mm -hmm. contraception and abortion. They would not have been necessarily writing it down the way that men write shit down throughout history. Yeah, we may have Um, if it was like taken seriously or um, been allowed. Right. But... I mean, then there's a little bit of that from this um, this lady Tratula uh, in Italy was like the first woman to write a, a big gynecological text. Uh-huh. I think it was the 14th century. Wow. Um, but anyways, what has been really amazing to to reconnect with in this post row world where um, I'm very comforted and fortified by context, by like zooming out and looking at historical uh, realities of like what has humanity been up to more than just this like little blip on the screen. Mm-hmm. And from what we have written, bringing on your blood when you were missing your period was just that. It was bringing on a late period 
the languages, the return of the natural courses, mm. the stimulation of the natural courses or the bleeding and the menstruation. And there's actually not really a conversation about abortion that is very common until we're persecuting and criminalizing fertility management mm -hmm. with the motivation that is economic. Yeah. Right. So it's like a huge fucking illusion that it's even religiously motivated because mm -hmm. it is hugely politically and economically motivated to want to persecute fertility management. We did really just dive into a deep yeah. end here. No, but I, I just to, just <laughs> but to kind I, of like highlight what you're saying, it sounds like yeah. uh, the, the category of out of clinic is something that has been happening for thousands of years and majority. Only, yeah. Majority history. only recently has there been the commodification of of this for a variety of, you know, a variety of reasons. Yeah. And so unless there was a quickening, the quickening being usually sometime in the second trimester where the mother feels a baby kicking mm. prior to that moment mm -hmm. for the vast majority of written human history, mm -hmm. it, we don't even worry about it. You're just getting your period back. That's We're such an interesting, about... that's such an interesting way to re-narrate it, right? Is to take the, the loaded word of abortion off the table and say the return, the return of your courses, the return of your period. Yeah. Which I mean, like Ben Franklin had herbal abortion recipes. Really? An almanac. Whoa. Because it's a homesteading skill. Fertility management of both the earth and our bodies are homesteading skills. Oh yeah. Let's talk more about that. Oh man, I mean, where to begin, right? It's, it's again, like around power yeah, and like the illusion of an external authority mm -hmm. and the exploitation of supply yeah. and demand and the reality that we've had the ability to both feed ourselves and care for our reproductive and sexual health mm. without this external authority yeah. for most of human history. Yeah. And absolutely, some of the tools that are offered by the medical industrial complex are very effective and very helpful. Mm -hmm. However, the idea that the medical industrial complex or the political uh, forces that control and dominate it yeah. are the only source of nourishment mm -hmm. or healing or fertility management yeah. is part of the systemic oppression is part of the illusion yeah that we must that's the spell we must break right and mm. going back to my um my bio like we've been under this spell we have to break the spell yeah and so i wonder what are some other ancestral wisdom practices that as a culture we've lost around our wombs you're like, that's, that's 20 podcasts <laughs> worth of information right there. I mean, like the, the most simple being Moon Lodge or Red Tent culture. Mm, so and, yeah, talk more about that. Uh, so most indigenous and earth-based cultures send the bleeding ones away so that your main task is bleeding, often also singing praying, being in a space of divination, 
and communing with the divine as this life force moves through your vessel, which yeah, wait, and yeah, let's is. let's clarify what was the reason for sending away? Because I think in our culture now it's yeah. like, well, let's send you away because you're on your period and you're bitchy and you're annoying. unclean and yeah. you're awful. And right. you're like, you have cramps. Right. As opposed well, first to of all, cramps and like, yeah, the vast majority of the symptoms that people experience premenstrually and during menstruation are again, a result of modern culture of being literally poisoned by endocrine disruptors and all kinds of other issues. Like that's not innate to our physiology. To yeah. And it's, I mean, suffer. I, I lead groups of um, adolescents that come in and do equine assistive oh, therapy cool. at my office yeah. and you know, they're, they're there for equine. And so I try not to get on my like soapbox about other things that they're not asking for, but we often have adolescent, uh, you know, womb bearers coming in and they will be so crampy and sick on their period. And it's just so normalized. And I will always get on a platform and be like, just so you know, I know we are taught that this is like normal, but this is not normal. And here's someone that you could go talk to about this kind of thing, because it's so normalized right in our culture. And for listeners out there, go back to past episode with Dr. Shannon Chavez about things like endometriosis. Um, but you know, just that it's so normalized now that that's like a thing that it should be so horrible and so painful and so crampy. Um, and that's, that's a sign that something is wrong. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. And so we're, we're, we're sent away because we're so powerful. (laughs) We just can't, we can't, you know, people can't handle powerful that we should not be meddling with mundane day-to-day affairs oh yes please say more about this well and then there's there would be counsel there are several different cultures that there's records that after the moon lodge where you're away to bleed the elders and the wisdom council would invite them to to share what they dreamt of or what their visions were while they were dreaming Oh, so it's almost like they while they were like bleeding, a, like a plant medicine qu- vision quest, and then they're yes, coming and back so, and sharing. Yeah, I studied with this medical anthropologist. Her name, oh my gosh, Cynthia Ingar, who um, was from Peru, mm-hmm. and she explained to me in the class that ayahuasca is the rite of passage ceremony for the boys mm-hmm. when they hit puberty. And that moon lodge ceremony is the rite of passage for the girls. And they are seen as equally potent. Interesting. Yes. Wow. Um, so yeah, there's, there's so much that we really did just dive in the deep end. I know we um, did. <laughs> but yeah, the, again, it's like, it has to do with like monopoly and domination of the structures of the medicalization and, yeah. and control of how we manage our bodies. And I like that in your bio, you know, you kind of talk about how we intersect sort of the, the medicine and the science, because obviously that's there. There are parts of that that are um, really advancing and helpful and, and creating lots of things. So how do we help create space for both of these things to exist? How do we create space for this kind of ancestral wisdom, but also um, include modern science and developments? Like what's been helpful for you to kind of put the two together? Yeah. Well, for me, the framework that I use is one of conscious consumerism and being very clear Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. that the medical industrial complex is an industry, not a healing modality. And that there are very valuable goods and services that are available in that industry that can be used as tools on a healing journey. Yeah. However, we shouldn't be seeking healing from an industry. And if we are not able to actually make deeply informed consensual decisions about what we choose to consume and what services we choose to have, Mm -hmm. uh, then that is a system of oppression. And so I'm, yeah, very much like I'm not an either or, I'm a yes and, but it comes down to the individual being seen as a whole who has a mind, body, and a spirit, and who deserves to have all of the options and all of the information to be making a consensual decision. Yeah. Any tips on being a more mindful and intentional embodied consumer? (sighs) Yeah. I mean, it just takes time and it takes practice and curiosity over concern is one thing Mm -hmm. that I preach like curiosity over concern and wonder over worry. I mean, the whole process of developing that internal authority that is necessary to practice truly embodied consent. And I love breaking down consent into the Latin of con with and sentir feeling Mm -hmm. to really highlight this reality that consent is not permission. Consent is not paperwork. Consent is a feeling of resonance. And that in order to come into a healthy consensual relationship with yourself, with your medical care provider, with your lover, you have to be able to even be a feeling body and being. So that's like healing the massive, you know, ubiquitous dissociation we have as a trauma response, as a culture to our, our pussies, to our wombs, to our sexuality or to our bodies in general. So it's like... Be able to feel your body because your body actually is way more intelligent than your intellect, I yes. think, is also really important. So yeah, it's not a very specific thing, but no, but I think unfortunately, like we live in a you know, in, in this culture where medicine is not something that is embodied, and most practitioners in that mainstream space are not taught that. And also I think if we because of how much care is needed and maybe lack of like providership and lack of accessibility. Um, we're also dealing with like time and other constraints. And so I, in my mind, ideally, if there was like the amount of time that it took during a medical appointment for folks to actually get into their consent, into their body feeling, it would be a much longer appointment. Um, and most of us just aren't given that, you know, and, and then there's this power dynamic as well about, you know, we're just taught that we're supposed to trust the doctors, right? Or that we can't, that we can't have that inner wisdom, that we can't speak up, that we can't know what's best for our body. And instead we're told um, what, what we should be feeling. And, um, and it's so really it's, scary for people to speak so, up. It's so much like religion. It's so much like this hierarchical religion where there's a priest who you need to go and follow his directions and he's going to be the intermediary between you and God. Yeah. And now the doctor is going to be the intermediary between you 
and the divine innate intelligence yeah. of your body. Yeah, like the guru complex, right? Like there's someone- as if you can't just connect like literally anytime, anywhere by practicing some sort of meditation or breath work or being aware of energy anatomy, which is a very real thing, which is as real as our physical anatomy. Yeah. It's, how do you define energy anatomy? Oh gosh. Well, I think that Tao and Tantra are some of the most accessible forms of energy anatomy available mm-hmm. to us. I, I strongly believe that all indigenous earth-based cultures have had energy anatomy maps and systems, but not all of get again, not all of them are written. Most of them are oral. Mm-hmm. Um, and energy anatomy is really hard to define with words. I almost want to like get out my coloring book because I yes. define it. <laughs> right. It's embodied. It's hard. For, it's hard for us to define because it's, it's embodied. A, it's a, yeah, it's, I mean, but it's so real. It's so real. <laughs> I mean, one, I don't know if this is necessarily exactly in that category, but just one, one way of maybe getting back to the body in a womb sense is um, mm-hmm. fertility awareness methods and kind of conscious contraception. So I know you kind of help help folks with these, with these spaces. What is the fertility awareness method? And let's, let's talk more about that. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so I practiced what I thought was the fertility awareness method for oh, like 14 years. Mm. So like backing it up, um, I worked at Planned Parenthood as a teenager in Idaho and I like very much was like fully in this system of like fertility is a disease. We could treat it with, you know, medications and surgeries because it's a problem. And then I, I was with uh, um, a nanny uh, um, family who was having a home water birth mm-hmm. and got into midwifery and herbs and nutrition that way. I'm, I'm going on a very spiral. So you, but you were in, so you were in more mainstream medicine before you really, I was in mainstream clinical Planned Parenthood worlds for sure. And then it was through studying midwifery, which, you know, you you talk about that time piece earlier. I just love that word. Midwifery. Midwifery. (laughs) Totally. My favorite. (laughs) Um, Anywho, and then, so this all kind of came together. The same year that I started studying to be a midwife, mm-hmm. I ended up doing this internship on a farm where we were studying permaculture and alternative technology and organic gardening. And I found this book, The Garden of Fertility on the Shelf, which is by mm-hmm. Katie Singer. And it described how to practice what is the symptothermal method of fertility awareness. What is that? Which is tracking your basal body temperature and your cervical fluids and your cervical position Mm -hmm. in order to detect your fertile wave and your ovulation. And I very much thought that that was the fertility awareness method. Mm. And like proceeded to teach a bunch of people because it was fun. I made the zine. I'm like, it's just sitting here. So like I made the zine when I was 19 about how to tell when you ovulate it's a free download on my website for anybody. It's really cute. There are actually literally dozens of fertility awareness methods uh, that I was not fully aware of until I went to write the curriculum for my conscious contraception Skillshare and do all of this research. And so the symptothermal method of fertility awareness 
Um, there are various forms of it, but those three primary biomarkers, the temperature, the fluids, mm-hmm. and the cervix, those are the primary fertility signals, mm-hmm. which a lot of methods will call symptoms, which I think is, again, just pathologizing like our natural functioning body. Yeah. Don't do that. Like biomarkers mm-hmm. or signals. Yeah. Uh, and so basically fertility awareness is being able to be present with these changing aspects of your body mm-hmm. in order to be aware of when conception is possible, which we are taught when we're young, if we're lucky, that a sperm and an egg can create a pregnancy. When in reality, what we need to be teaching our children and our adults alike is that a sperm and fertile fluids and an egg create a potential conception. Mm -hmm. Because without that fertile fluid, the sperm will die immediately in the acidic conditions of the vagina, which is about (laughs) the same pH as a glass of red wine. I'm learning, I'm learning a lot and, and I'm glad to be learning, but I'm also a lot of my clients feel this way too. Yes, exactly. Angry. Um, because look, I'm a sex therapist, obviously the uh, fertility, fertility is not my specialization. So I can say, I just don't know as much about, about this. Um, but I also have so many clients that when I teach them these new things, they're angry and I'm angry because this should be taught. This should be taught. Um, otherwise it's just kind of fear-based, right? A hundred percent. It goes back to consensual decision-making. It's like, if you want to take an ovulation suppression pill, mm-hmm. which uh, other people will call birth control, but like, you're not controlling birth, controlling birth is sadistic and not in a cute kinky way. Um, like we're <laughs> suppressing ovulation mm-hmm. when we take oral contraception. Yeah. And if we want to take hormones because we want to transition, if we want to do whatever we want to do with our bodies, I'm all for it. But having this baseline understanding of what is the foundational, healthy, biologic process at hand mm-hmm. before it's altered, yeah. I think is a human right that most of us are deprived of. And so, yeah, most of us are only fertile, um, fertile being specifically defined by the presence of those fluids, which are extremely alkaline and keep sperm alive and literally feed them. Mm-hmm. And so sperm can live in those for up to a week at like the very large end mm-hmm. of things. But generally speaking, those fluids are only present for like three to six days out of a month. Yeah. And, and that's so- the only time more contact with sperm can result in a conception. Yeah. So if folks have never tried a fertility awareness method of which there are many, um, what are some yeah. ways to sort of start exploring that? What, what are some options to, to start tracking this? Yeah. I mean, so downloading my little zine that I made as a teenager, I think is like a very great beginner's point. And there's a good resource section there. Um, and that will give you your three basic primary fertility signals and, mm-hmm. you know, advice on how to track them. And there are many, many other teachers and courses available, but of course my course, the conscious contraception Skillshare, um, walks through, um, my favorite types of fertility awareness methods. And rather than teaching you a specific method and its dogma and specific rules religiously, it's like, here's your options. 
And here are some ways to understand which options might be best for you. Um, and the whole, the course as a whole is a mind, body, spirit approach mm. to the practice of fertility awareness, which like, I want to teach way more sex educators and maybe I should like try and do a powwow specifically for that because it's like, why are we practicing contraception if not for more pleasurable sex? Mm. For, you know, all the other, all the other patriarchal reasons and preventing blah, blah, blah. But like, why aren't we censoring that in terms of contraception, in terms of understanding that like we want to avoid a pregnancy because we want to have really good sex. I mean, I'm with you on that, (laughs) but I think when, as I'm thinking of this too, like, not that I'm like, this doesn't sound fun, but it does, you know, how do we, how do we make sure that the fertility awareness methods don't feel so clinical and, and maybe how do we make more of a, a ritual and experience like something out of it that allows us to, um, have it be something that really does feel like self self care as opposed to like, like you said, Oh, I'm just doing this because I have to, or I'm supposed to. Yeah. Well, so at first it comes back to this self consent, I think also, which is really profound and, you know, not a part of the narrative of a lot of other fertility awareness educators, because we have to collect data to practice fertility awareness effectively. You just do, you have to collect data, but two out of three of those data points are visceral, sensual experiences that you cannot collect without touching yourself deeply and knowing yourself. And the process of being able to feel what kind of wetness is on the surface and inside of your pussy, like should be a deeply embodied consensual experience with yourself where you are a full body. Yes. Because if you're not a yes, then you're part of the problem of objectifying the body to collect data from it. And that's, that's part of the problem. So really, I think um, what I teach folks is this process called the sacred. Yes. Finding your sacred. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that anything, anytime is coming near on or in your body, especially your sexual body, that it should be a yes. And that most contraception practices focus on the no, but no does not exist in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. What's the yes? Like, what is it that you want to take into yourself? What is it you want to conceive and gestate and birth in the world? And a lot of time that gets metaphorical right? It, it goes into a more spiritual or etheric or conceptual place, but it can also be orgasms. Mm-hmm. It could also be that sleep that you get when you are not parenting, mm. right? Like sleep and sex are some of like the most basic sacred yeses, I think, for practicing contraception, right? Basic. <laughs> like, I, I like that, yeah. Have... <laughs> so... So I encourage like finding your sacred yes and finding self-consent and finding the sensual presence to be able to ritualize these moments of presence with your body, understanding that our cycles in our bodies are literally this microcosm of the macrocosm of all 
creation and how energy works and how life force happens and that we're able to conceive and birth things that are not human children with this life force, which again, like Taoism specifically, I think has some of the most fabulous stuff. So it sounds like you've, you've created like connected a lot of spirituality with your fertility awareness methods. That I, yeah, it is such, it is, yeah, it's the most faith inspiring connected grounding thing in my life is yeah. My cycle awareness for sure. How has this changed your sex and pleasure versus when you were working in more of the like Planned Parenthood space? And we love Planned Parenthood, like all lots of great things. Right. But I can't say we, I love, you know, maybe you, maybe you don't, but like they do a lot of good stuff. And um, yeah. how do you feel like your sex and pleasure capacity has shifted since you have integrated more of this approach? Yeah. I, I mean, I've, I feel like fertility awareness and cycle awareness are deeply erotic. Like literally like what is Eros? <laughs> so right? how do you define it? I mean, it's life force, mm-hmm. right? It's that, it's that powerful frenetic energy that is animating all life. Yeah. And it's so, it's so interesting when you say that, you know, I'll just share what I'm experiencing in my body is I mm, think mm-hmm. I would love to get to the place of the power spot, but I think yeah. because of all the reasons that we're describing, I, f- I feel more fear whenever yeah. there's talk of that stuff. It's, it's the fear, right? It's the fear of mm. unwanted pregnancy. It's the fear of like all the stuff that I have to do to make sure that doesn't happen or like having to consider what an IUD is doing to my body and my hormone levels and <sighs> just all, all the things. Right. So instead, yeah. instead of that, like, oh yeah, I feel powerful and erotic with this. I notice yeah. myself feeling it's yeah. My initial body reaction is it's more of a like Ugh, kind of sensation of like, oh, all the things I have to do or like all the things yeah. that are scary. One more thing I have to do. Deal yeah. One with. more thing I have to worry about. One more thing. My ADHD is going to like, make it really hard to freaking do the, you know, tracking things every day. Like yeah. it's, it's yeah. I I'm any tips on folks who might be feeling that same way to start getting. Yeah. What's, what's the other side of this that maybe does feel strengthening and erotic and beautiful? Well, first I want to just, you know, deeply validate the feelings that you are feeling and that others feel and like, yeah, acknowledge that it's so important to be fully present and respectful and honoring of what is real for you Mm -hmm. and not want to like pedestalize my experience. Um, as like a goal so much again, as like give people their options, which is so much where my passion lies as an educator Mm -hmm. is like, I want everybody to know the broad spectrum of options. The informed consent. Yeah, exactly. And so yeah, fertility awareness might not be the right thing for everybody. I'm not like, this is the best ever for everyone for me. So uh, going backwards, like I just used condoms when I was a teenager um, there's a lot of fucking garbage, right? It's like not zero waste fucking when you're using that many condoms. And I was with one partner, like condoms. Yeah, we're the people listening here place. are mostly sluts. So, you know, we're, yeah, we're yeah. creating potentially well, creating a lot I, of waste. And it's like who you are, right? Who are you going to be fluid bonded with? 
can is a huge deal for for practicing fertility awareness as well um and so i'm trying to like think about like specific things to land on other than like exploring other flavors of my sexuality when i am fertile with the right partner is fun it is not a burden to have a conversation about where the sperm should go <laughs> or like what sex acts we're going to engage in. Yeah. Like it, it is fun. You can be creative. You can enjoy so many different flavors and sensations and experiences that are not this heteronormative penis and a vagina until the penis ejaculates definition of sex. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's again, it's like decentralizing that narrative as like, that is what sex is. Yeah. That's my my podcast is all about that. I know. I know. And really, and that's one of the first things I usually do with fertility awareness clients. And that I lead people through in my course is like, make a list, make a list of all of the different things that you would enjoy that would cultivate pleasure and intimacy and potential orgasms. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That are not a penis and a vagina until that vagina until the penis ejaculates. Like, <laughs> yeah. And then you can have that after you've confirmed ovulation. Yeah. And for listeners out and there, there's too, no uh, chance of pregnancy. Yeah. Because the, the egg is dead. The egg is only alive for a day. So the only time conception can happen is that fertile window with the fertile fluids. Yeah. And the day of ovulation. And after that is over, most of us have two weeks where it doesn't matter how much sperm is in your vagina, no pregnancy or conception is possible. Mm-hmm. And I just want to invite folks to go back to an early old episode. I don't know if you've met this practitioner, but would I, I would love to connect you if you haven't. Uh, Pamela yeah. Samuel, Pamela Samuelson. I know Pam. Yeah. Great. Okay. So check out, check out our past episode, um, and their practice, uh, in body work and they, they offer a great class, um, uh, called take back the speculum, which kind of helps yeah. start to practice tracking some of these things. And, and all the topics we're talking about, um, in addition to your book, which I can't believe you, I mean, I can believe you made as a teenager, but that's very, very cool. Oh, I mean, it's a zine. It's like, you know, it's like a paper stapled, which is how all my books started out. And then for a couple years ago, I've like started making real books that like have ISBN numbers and stuff. <laughs> Fuck that. We don't need those zines better. But are for c- certain folks who maybe do have less regular cycles, um, how true so is what you're saying? A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Because you need to learn your fertile fluids. And so 90% of women, uh, and I, again, I use this word women to describe the people that were in the studies that mm-hmm. identified as women and I'm yeah. my, my writing and my teaching, I want to be explicit are inclusive. And I've worked with lots of trans and non-binary folks, but in these studies, women, mm-hmm. uh, 90% of women were able to accurately identify their fertile fluids yeah. within the first month after having the proper education. Mm-hmm. And so again, it like, it has to do with like, it's okay for you to not want to check your fluids every day. Yeah. And it's okay for that to be out of your comfort zone. But I think that it's also important, A, to know that it's an option, B, to be aware of potentially any trauma responses and dissociation that you are experiencing. 
that are creating a challenge for you being present with yourself in that way. Mm -hmm. I just imagine like any other orifice, if it was like, check the side of your cheek or check inside of your nose to see what the texture is. Yeah, that, that'd be like, easier. It takes like 10 seconds to do that. Yeah. If that, and for you to be like, oh, I can conceive right now. Yeah, we probably do that all the time, right just unconsciously, right? <laughs> I wish there right, was, and that'd be cool just... if there was a way to do it by picking our nose, because I do enjoy picking my nose. <laughs> I enjoy <laughs> playing with my pussy too, science. but picking my nose is also a good pastime. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just that it's it's not beyond our intelligence. And that if we want it, like, again, informed, consensual choice, whatever it is that you want to choose, but like mm-hmm. having the awareness that you don't have to silence the conversation between your brain and your ovaries. There's so many different ways that, that this could, and also like people with sperm are fertile every day. Like, why is this our responsibility when we're only fertile for a week out of the month? Great question. <laughs> Great question. That is just ridiculous. I mean, we've talked a little bit about like the the fluids and things, but I do want to talk a little bit about hormones for a second. And um, sure. something you talk about, um, which we haven't really touched on yet, is just the the role of oxytocin. Um, Ooh, and I think yeah. you also, I, I read somewhere something about this thing called oxytoxic liminal states. Um, Ooh, I just yeah. saw that word in something of yours, and Ugh. I was like, what what is that? Yeah. And so that actually goes back to, um, so that's my next book project actually, um, is tentatively titled bleeding, coming and courting the veil. Oh, can we get a (laughs) little taste of what that is? Yeah. Oxytocin and the womb continuum. And so it's understanding oxytocin is a hormone that has a very similar effect to narcotics on our brain. It's very similar to morphine. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's a painkiller. It's not just a hormone. It's also a neurotransmitter. Mm-hmm. And of all of our hormones, it is the most widely observed to be a behavioral hormone, a hormone that makes us behave in a very specific way, which is basically as if we were are in love. Right. And so the hierarchy of release, the most, um, the, the, the highest release of oxytocin comes during natural childbirth without any interventions or medications or surgery, mm. which we're talking about two or 3% of the births in our nation are happening without surgery or narcotics or synthetic hormones that destroy oxytocin release. And then the next tier down is orgasm. Mm. And then the next tier down is nibble stimulation. Mm-hmm. And then there's various lower ones that include any rhythmic activity. Like dance, movement. Mm-hmm. Dancing, drumming, running, even walking at a good clip, breath work, mm-hmm. um, eye contact, eating together. Mm-hmm. Um, there's actually, there's been some interesting studies that have like, compared oxytocin release during fantasy and prayer and found that they're the same oh interesting so you have like the catholic grandma with the rosary (laughs) yeah you're really just masturbating i see you praying over there you're just getting some kinky scene and it's like (laughs) 
neurochemically and hormonally it's the same thing that's fucked up i love it oxytocin is greek for quick birth it's named for its role in birth which is it creates contractions Mm -hmm. it can creates it creates contractions in the uterus Mm -hmm. it creates contractions in the breasts during um breastfeeding Mm -hmm. it creates the contractions in the seminal vesicles during ejaculation it creates contractions also during menstruation Mm. and so the i mean which is i think connected i don't know if this is where it aligns yeah yeah, moon launch but also for clients of mine who struggle with pmdd which is like premenstrual like dysphoria and like high depression once their period arrives they feel better is that the connection is that the connection there um I feel like it could be related, but I also, there's so much to be said for that. So the first day or two of menstruation is a hormonal low. Mm. It's like a, you bottom out in order to menstruate. And then as soon as you start bleeding, estrogen, which has a lot to do with serotonin, Mm -hmm. estrogen levels and other hormones start to rise and they peak at ovulation. To me, there is a huge correlation having been at many births, having been at many pregnancy releases that were not births, miscarriages, abortions, um, having supported many people with menstruation and orgasms, right? The whole continuum. Mm -hmm. Oxytocin is definitely one of those elements that helps divine energy flow, that helps us connect with source, that helps us connect with that erotic energy mm-hmm. and that narcotic element as well helps us enter trance states so we're thinking like rhythms we're thinking like different like altered states of of cognition yeah um there's so much to be said there and like so said and, in 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 very crude summary our periods yeah. and our wombs allow us to get high on our own supply and the more embodied yes. you can get with this you can reach transcendental, powerful, awesome states. <laughs> That's like the most crude summary, yeah. but would you agree? A hundred percent agree with that. And then also just want to caveat that the neocortex, like any stimulation of our cognitive ego brains, language, numbers, feelings of being observed directly inhibits oxytocin release. Mm. Which is that- another good reason for moon launch. Yeah. So how does, I was going to say, how does that relate to what we've been talking about? Just like being, having someone else oversee our, like our, our womb cycles and other things. Yeah. Well, in birth, in orgasms in menstruation, these, we need oxytocin to flow to have a healthful, expansive experience of these Mm -hmm. things. And when you have the feeling of being observed, of being watched, of needing to perform when you have Mm -hmm. light, bright lights in your face, when you're meeting strangers, yeah. All of these, these natural processes of the womb and pleasure and expansive experiences of our creative power yeah. as people who have wombs are inhibited by this neocortex function, which is yes. pedestalized in our culture. Yeah. Here's where the intersection of like science and ancestral practices should ideally intersect is like, how do we make hospitals <sighs> more conducive to this natural oxytocin process um, to allow for healthier, better, more enjoyable birth experiences? 
Yes. <laughs> I mean, I think <laughs> continued. for sick people, but yeah, I mean, we've got the data is in that hospitals are less safe for healthy people to give birth in than homes. Like it's, it is science The the British did a really great, really conclusive, huge study. And that is hugely, again, that has to do with the persecution of home centered midwifery, herbal DIY fertility management has been stomped out for profit. Yeah. Uh, Samantha, you are such a wealth of knowledge. How can folks get in touch, hire you? Um, like you said, check out the zine. Um, yeah, please shout it out because definitely we need you, especially during these times. Yeah. Um, my website is my name. It's Samantha Zippora, Z-I-P-P-O-R-A-H.com. There you will find all of my books, all of my courses, um, and the fruit of knowledge learning community is my online membership has a very low entry rate, $5. There's like hundreds of hours of lectures and classes and monthly live events, um, at the fruit of knowledge, which again, like, cause I know you care <laughs> the fruit of knowledge in the Bible, the actual ancient Hebrew text, the word fruit, I mean, the word knowledge, sorry, is the same term that is used to describe sex. Interesting. I don't know if I knew that. What is the word? Dot. Dot. Yeah. Huh. And so it's the fruit of sex as much as it's the fruit of knowledge. And I always just like to say, what if it was not the original sin, but the original win where we came into self-awareness of our ability to create and destroy uh, and there, there, there are so many beautiful stories around that actually being connected to the estrus cycle, the menstrual cycle and our separation from animals and uh-huh. like leaving Eden because like, you know what, we get to have all of this sex that is not procreative. Mm-hmm. You're blowing my mind. I, <laughs> I'm just like reminded of how many things I don't know that I don't know. So just an invitation to you slutty scholars to stay curious. Um, Again, if you want to follow what I'm doing, um, I'm on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at Slut Scholars. Um, definitely go check out some of those past episodes. I think we talked about Pamela Samuelson. There's also another great yeah. one with the uh, the Hoopa Valley tribe talking about um, ancestral um, indigenous menstrual practices. I think oh, like cool. a, a free birth movement one. So again, wherever you listen to podcasts or at slutsandscholars.com, uh, don't forget to rate and review. And thank you so much, Samantha, for joining. Yeah, you're- you are so welcome and thanks for being open-minded and being willing to to play in these realms. Scholars.